Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. We recently talked about Linux hardware and the idea of SSDs versus spinning rust came up, old mechanical hard drives. And I jokingly said that we should do a challenge of see how long we can stand it. Well, I made us all do that. (laughs) And it wasn't the most fun I've ever had, I must admit, although it was very interesting. Mm. I can't believe that some of you even installed Windows. You are just very brave, is all I can say. (laughs) I don't think I've ever been called brave for installing Windows, but I'll chalk that one up, I guess. Say, I tried a couple of different drives when I did this. One was just a standard 7.2K laptop disk. And to be honest with you, the performance was okay. So I installed Fedora on it. It was an external USB attached disk on my ThinkPad, but with the throughput of these disks, it's really not going to make too much difference. And it was bearable. I spent a couple of days working in it, and once I'd got applications loaded into memory, by and large, it was fine. But there were a few things that made me really, really notice. Stuff like opening GNOME software after I'd just installed the distro and waiting for DNF to populate the list of updates took a about 10 minutes, which I really, really wasn't <laughs> expecting. So it was all stuff like that, where there's random IO when the machine first booted, but a couple of hours into my day, once I had all the applications open, kind of bearable, I think. The other disk I used was a Western Digital Velociraptor, which is a 10K SATA disk that was aimed at consumers about 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I remember very nearly buying a Velociraptor for my first PC build. Yeah, and I'd had this one laying around for years. It was in an old workstation that's in my loft. And basically I bought two of them because two 600 gig 10K Velociraptors was way, way cheaper than an SSD. Uh, So I had those in RAID 0. One of them is long dead, but this one seemed in pretty good health. Say I put it into my home server and it seemed to run absolutely fine. Not as good as an SSD, but I think I could probably bear running it if it wasn't for the noise. Like those things (laughs) are so loud to the point where I had to move my home server into a different room because it was just ridiculous. What kinds of workloads was that drive servicing in your server? So I actually have a Windows VM that I mentioned before that I remote into when I'm away from the house. So I moved the QCAL file for my Windows VM onto the 10K disk and RDP'd into the Windows VM. So it was running a full Windows 11 VM with WSL2, Chrome, Firefox, VS Code, just usual stuff that I do on my remote Windows machine. And it wasn't as quick as an SSD, but I could probably get by. Okay. And how much RAM is in that server? In the host is 32 gigs. In the VM is 6 gigs, but the machine is quite heavily loaded with VMs, to be honest with you. There's not a lot of free memory. Okay. So I thought that you were just being entirely saved by RAM caching on that, but that might not be the case. How was it okay? What kind of magic you got? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's only an 8th gen i5 in the server. So it's not like it's huge. And the server's running ZFS as well. So there's a lot of stuff that's being stored in memory on the machine at any given time. 
I should point out that this 10K disk was not running ZFS. It was just XFS. So it wasn't like ZFS was doing anything there. So I don't know. I don't know how it was so bearable, but maybe I'm just patient. I mean, I did get away that time when we did the old laptop challenge with a T400 for a couple of days, and that's a Corti Geo machine. (laughs) (laughs) It must be the power of the dinosaurs. That's what that's what I'm going for. It's because it's the Velociraptors. That's that's it. It's just as fast as Jurassic Park. (laughs) This is clearly it. Yeah, I take it every time you turned it on or looked at it, you said you have a go. (laughs) (laughs) But genuinely, it was just an XFS disk with a Windows 11 VM on it. And yeah, it was absolutely fine. Well, I decided to do this challenge with two machines. My old first-gen i7, an 870, and my relatively modern i9, 9900K, ninth-gen. And I originally did it with a 160-gigabyte MaxDoor drive, I think that's how you say it. And uh, that was just ancient. I think it is SATA 2, maybe, or SATA 1. Anyway, it was pretty slow. I was planning to put that into the 9900K machine, but when I did, it made this sound. <laughs> Oops. So that was the end of that. And then I tried with another Maxtor one that was a bit bigger, and it sort of gave me similar weird noises. And then eventually I put in, I think, a 500 gig Barracuda which was absolutely fine. I need to take that hard drive and put it back in the i7 machine, the first-gen one, to see if that hard drive is knackered or not. I think it is, but I don't know, maybe it's some weird compatibility thing. So I don't have like apples for apples numbers, but nevertheless, I found that the differences between the spinning rust and a cheap SSD, I mean, I got just one of those cheap DRAMless cache ones, 120 gig for about 20 quid they used to be now they're about 10 quid and that was the comparison and there was a much bigger difference on the first gen machine although now i'm realizing it was a much slower hard drive so maybe that's why but what i also noticed was that it really depends on the workload shock horror (laughs) because installation took way longer and boot took way longer and starting the firefox snap for the first time took way longer But interestingly, subsequent starts of the Firefox snap took about one to two seconds across everything I tested, whether it was the first gen i7 or the ninth gen i9, SSD or hard drive. It was always the same. And I suppose it shouldn't really come as much of a surprise, really, that once you get stuff running and RAM is much more of a factor, you don't really notice the difference, do you? It's just the things that you notice are twice as fast with an SSD. But I think the things that matter, actual compute, like, for example, building the videos for the shows, that's that Shonky Python script, that was basically the same on SSD versus hard drive. Yeah. I think like once stuff is running, it's about your CPU and RAM. And this is just obvious in retrospect <laughs> once you think about it. Yeah, I think that's broadly what I saw. And because for the workloads I do, once stuff is open... That's it for the rest of the day. I'm not closing stuff. I'm not opening stuff that often. I'm not installing things. I'm not doing anything that really puts any kind of IO onto the disk. It's just kind of pretty static. Like I've got a browser open. I've got Slack open. I've got a terminal open. That's really it. 
Ah, uh, yes, but you've forgotten about when you're using Windows, so you don't <laughs> get to have your computer running all day. <laughs> well, take MP3 exports, for example. I didn't realize how much of that was CPU and how much was disk. It turns out none of it is disk. It's all CPU. The bottleneck is all in the encoding itself, not the writing it out to disk, because it was just exactly the same times for both machines and hard drive versus SSD. I think that's one of the big things about the PC platform as a whole, though, is that it doesn't matter if you have a fast one or a slow one. The software all works. And that was kind of the special thing about the PC and why it became a thing and why it continues to be a thing. If you have a super old PC, like one of the first Core 2 Duos that has 64-bit extensions on it, you could run Windows 10 on it, and it would run, and it wouldn't be fast, but it would run, and most of your software would run, unless someone accidentally compiled in some extension that you aren't supposed to have or you don't have. And I think that's kind of a powerful thing about, well, Linux as well, is that if you've got the thing running, if it isn't broken, you can run a vast variety of software from the most expensive to the least expensive at least a little bit. It'll at least execute. Yeah, and by extension, it doesn't matter how fast your RAM is, how fast your disk is, it'll get there in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my experience was I took a laptop I'd been messing around with Debian on recently with an SSD in it. And it's a second gen i5, but it's got eight gigs of RAM. It broadly fulfills the sort of lower end of the discussion that we had previously. It has an SSD, eight gigs of RAM, a decent CPU. It can handle a desktop workload. So installing Debian on it was fairly straightforward. The slowest part was getting the files onto the Rust. And I'm completely with you, Joe. Once I loaded up, I set up my settings and done everything. Yes. The first time after a cold boot, you open something, it's noticeably slower. But then once you're up and running with multitasking, it is eminently usable and it's absolutely fine. And I think, Dalton, you're right. There is a broad range where the experience, as long as you don't go for a really intensive IO workload that you're going to notice it on, is broadly acceptable. And it's a great strength. I wasn't going to, but then I thought, Okay, I moan about Windows, but it has been quite a while. When I used to repair computers, people would be stingy and I'd say, you need to put an SSD in this machine. And they would be like, oh, how much is that? And for a while, when I was a bit naive at the beginning, I would try and repair it. And in the end, I just had a blanket policy where I was like, for both of us, this process is not going to work unless you do what I say. And if you're not going to get an SSD, I'm not going to help you because we're going to be sat here wasting time because of the bottleneck. But it's been a while since I did that. So I thought, okay, I'll install Windows 11. I use some registry hacks to get it on there because it's a second gen i5. I'll install Windows 11, put the USB in. The first bit is fine because you're booting from a USB. You're just copying over. It's kind of, you know, just a bootstrap almost. It goes onto the disk, it partitions it, and then it says, let's restart. So I thought, okay, so far so good. Press the restart button, getting ready, getting ready, <laughs> getting ready, get it. And I was like, wow, this is so slow. And I didn't even get to the end of getting ready in the time it took me to do a Debian net install, go to a TTY, do manual partitioning, reboot, croot into it to do some custom package installs, and then reboot to the first desktop. 
I was still not finished on the first getting ready reel on the fucking laptop. Oh, you still weren't even out of box experience. So then it said, just one moment, I'm restarting. It restarts (laughs) and then goes, just a moment, just a moment, just a moment. Pushing the definition of a fucking moment to its very limit. (laughs) In Microsoft's defense, you're not supposed to be installing it on Rust in 2023, are you? And they have hardware requirements for a reason. That's true, but I did have a perfectly satisfactory install experience when I installed Debian, or if I'd installed, I think, any reasonable Linux distro in 2023, but it wasn't even finished after that. After just a moment, it rebooted again. And then I finally went through the wizard and then it was, this might take a few minutes. <laughs> this makes me really glad that I just moved my existing QL file. <laughs> <laughs> because it was a fucking lie, Microsoft. It wasn't a few minutes. It was a lot of minutes. Then you get dumped into the desktop. Okay, a lot of the hardware now is available to use, and it's much better. I think we've discussed this before. You used to, in the really bad old days, have to find driver CDs or go to a machine with network, copy it to a USB, even just to get Wi-Fi. That's not true. Even for an old beta like this, most of the hardware is running. But it's not up to date. And I, I created the installation USB from the most recent download you can make from Microsoft's website to create the installation media. It wasn't fucking finished. There were so many things to get it to the same state. <laughs> I did a full apt update, like a full upgrade, a kernel update and rebooted, which took not very long at all, even on spinning rust on Debian and then rebooted. With Win, I just fucking gave up. I just killed everything and turned it off and didn't go back because I was like, I am not going to do this anymore. And I just, I, as you said, Joe, I just don't think they give a shit anymore about spinning Rust. And why would they? It would be wasted development. Yeah, whereas on this first Gen i7 machine of mine, which is roughly equivalent to yours probably, it took about 13 minutes to install Zubuntu, Mm. which, you know, that's not too bad. That's really good. It took less than five on the 9900K with the cheap SSD. But interestingly, installing software was a test I did. I installed EasyTag, and it took 15 seconds on the slow machine with the slow disk. And it took 15 seconds on the fast machine with the slow disk, which tells me that is a very disk-intensive process. Hmm. Whereas it took six seconds and two seconds with the SSDs. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that kind of relates back to my DNF taking forever to populate the list of updates in Software Center. I think as well, it's the level of control that I really appreciated when I was in Debian. Because yes, all the things you're describing were slow. The things you'd expect, you know, apt dependency resolution is fairly solid, but yes, it's going to have to write out to the disk and update everything. But at least I could choose. So as you said, once you get everything up and running and you've cached some stuff into RAM, it's an eminently usable system. And then you can choose, okay, I'm going to run some updates now because I've chosen to. Again, Windows just not having it. I know that there are settings that you can change and everything and you can pause updates and everything else, but it's just not the same level of control. It will just go off into a a real utilization curve against the disk and you open up task manager and you're like, geez. And, and that thing you said about sound, Joe, you can hear it just 
grinding its life. And this was a fairly new disc. Like I found it in a drawer and it had barely any power on ours. I, I'm not sure where I got it from, but yeah, it just goes, <laughs> just like a death rattle as it tries to do it. It's just not viable, but I would happily give this laptop with the same Rust drive in to someone with almost any Linux distribution and say to them, it's a little bit slow to update, but you can do that when you're ready. Or more likely not at all. But you know, whatever. Yeah, this is the <laughs> point. And Popey, it was actually mentioned in one of our chats. That is the problem, you see. That's why it's like that, because people weren't. And when you have the user base that Windows Desktop has, it's a huge attack surface if no one updates. So that was the direction that they took. And it's understandable, but it is very frustrating. I think another advantage of Linux here is that it's all pretty transparent. If you do updates, you can see exactly what it's doing. With Windows Update, it's just like, yeah, I'm updating now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not being able to get a TTY or press escape or do anything with the keyboard, when you're looking at those various blue screens, wait a moment, this might take a few minutes. It's always my urge to be like, there must be a way that I can get to a console and see what's actually going on. Because at least I'll feel better if it says I'm doing this now and dots are progressing on the screen or there's some kind of progress bar. When it's just nebulous, it's so frustrating. Okay, this episode is sponsored by people who support us with PayPal and Patreon. Go to linuxafterdark.net slash support for details of how you can support us too. Linux After Dark is part of the late night Linux family which means that for $10 a month on Patreon, you can get access to an RSS feed that contains all the late-night Linux family shows without adverts like this. There's also an option to get just this show ad-free for $5 a month. Some of the episodes are even released a day or so early for Patreon supporters. So if you like what we do and can afford it, it would be great if you could support us at linuxafterdark.net slash support. Don, you said that you were going to struggle to do this because none of the machines you had would even accept a SATA disk. Well, I forgot that I have a desktop PC. A big old gaming box with an i5-12400 and an ARC A770 GPU. And I took that and I strapped in a 5400 RPM NAS drive. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the only hard drive I had. Two of them, actually, I tried. I tried to use the Intel VMD RAID, uh, which is supposed to be this fancy new feature on 12th gen and above, or 11th, whatever. And I tried to get that to RAID 0, two of them, because they're NAS drives. They're, they can take it, right? <laughs> but I got it set up, and I used my existing Windows install to install the VMD software and set up the RAID 0, and the block device was working, and I knew that. I installed Windows Setup to the slowest USB drive I have because I just really wanted to hurt myself with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and rebooted into the installer, and it couldn't see the disk. And I knew that was going to happen, so I did the... I have drivers and I have the disk, all of that stuff in Windows Setup, and picked the appropriate driver for my hardware. The volume still didn't show up. <laughs> So I tried a few different drivers and like a few different versions, all downloaded from the Intel website about how to do this on your 12th gen Intel workstation and nothing worked. So I gave up, turned off VMD and used a single <laughs> NAS drive to boot Windows. <laughs> Similar situation to Chris then with just painful waiting for it to do stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and see, the thing is, I mentioned again, 
I have an Intel ARC A770 card in this. The first, first-ish generation of Intel graphics cards at this point. So it's not the most stable thing in the world. So, yeah, it's true. Once you get everything running, once I've got Steam loaded, which takes minutes, and Discord loaded, which takes <laughs> minutes, and the updates are done, which takes hours. <laughs> you know, it's a usable system, and you can keep on going. And then Windows decides IGD pipeline fail blue screen. <laughs> And you get to start it all over again. <laughs> of course, I didn't have to do the updates again, but starting up Discord and Steam and Firefox and everything, it takes, it takes, oh boy, it takes. It reminds me of why I used to get given laptops to repair that were still in suspend <laughs> because people wouldn't even hibernate them. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, is this still on? Be like, yeah, I never turn it off. <laughs> like what's the uptime on this thing it's like i've never turned it off and then when you do reboot it there's all of this stuff that's been queued up for months so i got the five years of updates since they last touched it yeah finally i can update (laughs) i have come across what i sent to you guys in our little private chat as i was waiting for one of these getting ready screens and i went full on basil faulty and i was just like getting ready are you and how would that be by getting some elves to etch some fucking lines of code into some stone fucking tablets (laughs) it's that slow that's the conclusion i think surely please don't do this well my conclusion is once again i'm so grateful for linux because if i had to use a spinning hard drive as my boot drive it wouldn't be that pleasant but that'd be all right i think with linux whereas with windows no thank you it sounds like that is just an absolute nightmare i mean i just didn't even want to try it man i just (laughs) i just didn't want that much pain and i thought it would be really painful with linux and yeah you know you click on the risk menu and it takes a beat to show up the first time but then after that it's fine because it's cached somewhere Oh, man, I didn't even mention in Windows 11, there's that menu in the bottom left where the clock and battery icons and everything are. And you click on that and it brings up a quick settings menu. 30 seconds after you click (laughs) it. (laughs) Quick settings? (laughs) Yeah, whereas with Linux, you're looking at maybe half a second, you know? And like I said, it just makes me so grateful that Maybe Gnome's different, I don't know. It's probably not. It's probably, you know, three quarters of a second versus half a second on XFCE. But nevertheless, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And I think I could just about live with it if I absolutely had to. But I'm very grateful that I don't have to and I have fast NVMe drives in all my main machines. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, my conclusion was just that I'd go and spend £10 on an SSD. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yes, for now. Now is the the NAND dip. Now is the time to buy. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. <laughs>